Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. You can follow me across the series of tubes known as the internet. Just text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K to 33777. Find all the social media links, the podcast, the live stream, the daily email. By the way, Thanksgiving is next week. So if you're on the recipe list, I'll be sending out all the the annual recipes, the gravy, how I do my turkey, the breakfast to make for your friends and family. All of that comes out this week. Text recipe, singular, not recipes, but recipe to 33777. It is no charge. Sign up. You'll get my gravy recipe. If nothing, It's the best gravy recipe. It is. A text recipe to 33777. I'll get you all that stuff um, in another day or so. Now... I want to begin in a roundabout way to talk about the news of the day. You'll have to forgive me. I am a professional. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. You do need to know in the third hour of today's program, Mike Pence, former vice president of the United States, will be joining me. But I I want to talk about what's going on in Washington in the run-up to an announcement by Donald Trump About FTX, it may sound a little esoteric to you. It may sound a little abstract. Let me see if I can bring this home to you. FTX is a crypto exchange. You could go to FTX and you could buy cryptocurrencies. You could trade cryptocurrencies. You could buy one cryptocurrency and use it to convert into another cryptocurrency for purchase. It was run by a guy named Sam Bankman-Fried, who was the largest donor to the Democratic Party this year. He donated tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to the Democrats, second largest donor to the Democrats overall, other than George Soros. Sam Bankman-Fried's parents are Stanford University professors. His mother learned how to bundle money for Democrats and, in fact, upped her game when her son made his money and brought him into it, and they helped fund the Democratic Party. Sam Bankman-Fried may be carted off to prison now, but maybe not. He had a uh, trading firm called Alameda Research or Alameda Partners. And that company would buy up the cryptocurrency that his exchange, FTX, created. And it appears they were using client money to make the purchases. You're not supposed to use your client money to make your internal purchases. It appears they were. It appears, essentially, it was something more than a Ponzi scheme. It was much larger than a Ponzi scheme. It was corrupt. It appears to be illegal. And the regulators are now beginning the process of holding and seizing assets and doing their investigations and writing up their subpoenas and warrants. FTX had naming rights to the Miami Heat Stadium in Miami, the basketball team there. It spread its money around the Democratic Party and progressive causes. And it entangled itself with Democrats in Washington, D.C., helping make Democrats in Washington wealthy. It had ties to multiple venture capital firms that themselves had ties to the Democratic Party. And 
it sponsored a lot of business conferences, and Sam Bankman-Fried would make himself available to go to those conferences. He became a bit of a celebrity. He was a slob, dressed like a slob, acted like a slob, bragged about how he never read a book. There was no value in reading books, and they loved him on stage. And anyone who dug just a little bit into the finances of FTX could see there was no there there. Something was really wrong. And a number of investigative journalists, independent investigative journalists, began raising the red flag to people at CNBC, to people at the Wall Street Journal, to people at Bloomberg News, and none of them would look. The major media outlets wanted FTX's sponsorships of their conferences and wanted Sam Bankman-Fried on stage. They wanted access to him, so they did not criticize him. Elizabeth Holmes founded a company called Theranos. Theranos believed it had a magic miracle technology wherein you could take a a pinprick of a finger and a drop of blood and determine if someone had cancer, rare genetic disorders, disease, potentially find cures. Elizabeth Holmes brought in Republicans and Democrats alike from Washington, D.C. She put them on the board. She paid lavish sums to sponsor conferences and sat on stage. She was a huckster and a fraud who's being carted off to jail. You know who the whistleblower was at Theranos? You know George Schultz? George Schultz was Ronald Reagan's Secretary of State. George Schultz's grandson got a job at the company. He wanted to be a genetic researcher. George Schultz's grandson worked at Theranos. His grandfather sat on the board. It's one of the outside observers. When Schultz's grandson went to Schultz to tell him there was a problem at the company, they demanded he shut up. So he began leaking to the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal actually gave an explosive uh, investigative review of Theranos and exposed the Theranos fraud, and the Wall Street Journal helped bring it down. And Schultz became alienated for a time from his grandfather because he exposed the company was doing wrong. But Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos knew they could get the Washington elite on their board and give them access and pay for their conferences, and no one would come calling. But an enterprising Wall Street Journal reporter had to fight the bureaucracy of the Wall Street Journal to expose Theranos and did. But Bloomberg News and CNBC and even apparently the Wall Street Journal didn't take the bait from enterprising independent reporters who were looking at FTX. The problem here is this, and it all ties into the election and it ties into the parties in Washington. More and more businesses understand that if they give access to the elite in Washington, D.C., the elite in Washington, D.C. will cover their wrongdoings, will bail them out. As long as Washington can make some money, Washington turns the other way. Dave Chappelle, I can't play you the audio because some of the language in it, including profuse use of the N-word on Saturday Night Live, 
Dave Chappelle made this point on his monologue on Saturday Night Live last week that, you know, when Donald Trump ran, he was an honest liar. And what he meant by that was that Donald Trump would tell you the truth, but then lie and say he was going to fix the system when he was benefiting from the system. In his debates with Hillary Clinton, he would say, look, the game is rigged, and I know because I profited off the rigging. I helped rig the game. The tax code benefits the wealthy. I know I don't pay any taxes because I'm a rich person who knows how to, who to, how to game the system, and Hillary Clinton, as much as she screams about the wealth gap, won't fix it because her donors are the millionaire Democrats who do not want the system fixed. In fact, what we see in this election cycle and election cycles prior to this one is that the rich white guys who scream about the wealth gap are the ones who are voting Democrats to ensure the wealth gap is never fixed. And this provides an avenue for the GOP moving forward. It is not a coincidence that Sam Bankman freed backed the Democrats with hundreds of millions of dollars. He's socially progressive. His parents are liberal academics. Yes, the Republicans have a good share of billionaires backing them, but the millionaire class backs the Democratic Party. And the millionaire class wrings their hands about poverty and the wealth gap, but they want to just provide a comfortable social net safety net for the poor. They don't actually want the poor to get off the social safety net and compete with them. Calvin Coolidge is still my favorite president. Calvin Coolidge was president of the United States before the Great Depression. And Calvin Coolidge said the business of America is business. And he explained that by that he meant the government's job was to ensure a level playing field so David could slay Goliath and become Goliath himself to be later slayed by a new David. These days, the government of the United States does not allow David to slay Goliath. He subsidizes David and protects Goliath, so David never has the incentive or opportunity to slay Goliath. And both parties in Washington, D.C. prop up, subsidize, and regulate to the advantage of Goliath. It's why Trump did so well in 2016. It's captured in Dave Chappelle's monologues. He essentially would tell you he had been in the room. He had been behind the curtain in the smoke-filled room, and he knew how to play the game. And he would undo it all for the middle class. And he didn't. Not to the extent they expected. But he exposed what was going on, and people loved him for it. You know, if Ron DeSantis runs for president in 2024, he'll be the poorest person to have run for president in about 100 years. Well, not 100 years, since Harry Truman. He's a poor guy. He's with the middle class. He's not in the millionaire, white, rich set who votes Democrat. The citizens of the nation hate both political parties right now. The data shows that independents and a good portion of Republicans are really tired of Trump and they want to move on. But don't misunderstand what the voters said last Tuesday. We have the data now. It's not anecdote. It actually is data. The voters are furious with both parties in Washington. They think both parties in Washington do rig the system to benefit their friends, and by and large, they have the same friends. We have an aristocracy of technocrats who benefit the system, game the system to benefit the rich and the elite in this country. We haven't handed ourselves over to socialism. We've handed ourselves over to technocrats in Washington who think they can pick the winners and the losers.
And the public, by and large, except for the rich white people who vote Democrat, the public, black voters, white voters, Asian voters, Hispanic voters, people who make less than $500,000 a year, the majority of Americans, they want someone to smash the system and level the playing field. They want regulators to regulate Wall Street, not Main Street. They want a party of Main Street in the middle class, not a party of Wall Street in the elite. They want a party not beholden to its mega donors, but to the middle class. There's a real way forward for Republicans. Unshackle yourselves from the FTXs and the Theranoses of the world. Let the Democratic Party own that. The Democratic Party is going to have to own FTX. It appears the Democrats were able to break the Republican wave and break through using the funds of the middle class stolen by a billionaire crypto trader. The Republicans will today take the House of Representatives. They will get to 218 seats in the House. The Democrats will hold them close because of a billionaire who gave hundreds of millions of dollars to the Democratic cause, stealing funds from clients. The Democrats, it doesn't appear new. They can't be held culpable. But what we will see over the next two years is that they will do nothing to fix the problem. They'll do nothing to right the wrong. They'll do nothing to rearrange the situation in Washington, D.C., all while they rail on the wealth gap, all while they rail against poverty in America, all while Elizabeth Warren attacks Wall Street, they will do nothing to fix the system. Republicans do have a path forward. They have a good path forward into 2024. Nationwide, Republicans outperformed in Florida, in Georgia, in North Carolina, in Iowa, in in Indiana, in Arizona. Yes, they outperformed in Arizona, except for Kerry Lake and Blake Masters. In New York State, they outperformed. In Virginia, they outperformed. The thing they all had in common, all those candidates who outperformed, they never mentioned Trump. They stood on the side of the middle class against Wall Street. There's a real populist message for the GOP moving forward. It's not to pick the winners and losers. It's to smash the system and re-level the playing field. That'll get them ahead. And they have Theranos and FTX to make a case for them against the Democrats and against their own elite internally within the Republican Party. Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky-high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course of the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americas for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans. If you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K.
Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. Democrats in Georgia are advancing a story nationally that because of Robert E. Lee's birthday, there will be no Saturday early voting in the runoff in Georgia. Uh, You know who co-sponsored the law to make that happen? Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. And also B. Wynn, who ran for uh, Secretary of State in Georgia. She was one of the co-sponsors of the legislation. There's a law in Georgia that there will be no Saturday early voting uh, if there is a holiday within two days of the um, of, of that Saturday. So you have Thanksgiving on Thursday, and you have a uh, day after Thanksgiving holiday. It used to be in Georgia assigned to memorialize Robert E. Lee. They got rid of the Robert E. Lee birthday commemoration, but they left the holiday for state employees so they didn't have to get off Thursday and go back to work on Friday. The left is trying to say, oh, because of Robert E. Lee's birthday, we can't vote early on Saturday. The law was written, co-sponsored by Democrats, including Stacey Abrams and B. Wynn, who ran for Secretary of State as the Democrat against Brad Raffensperger. The Democrats co-sponsored the law to ensure there would not be voting the Saturday after Thanksgiving and the day after Thanksgiving. The Democrats did that, and now they're screaming about it. The bill was passed in 2016, SB 199. When it got to the House of Representatives, Abrams sponsored it, and all the Democrats and Republicans voted for it. The state does not celebrate Robert E. Lee's birthday anymore, but they left the holiday so that people didn't have to go back to work on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. And the left, of course, is screaming about it, trying to call some sort of national outrage. There is a question as to whether or not it is interpreting – they are interpreting the law right because in Georgia they do designate primaries, general elections, and runoffs. And the law just says election, early voting during an election. It's unclear, but it appears the state's interpretation will be favored. But it's not about a Confederate holiday. It's about a law that the Democrats themselves co-sponsored, that they don't want you to know now they co-sponsored. Meanwhile, Herschel Walker is attacking uh, Republicans for deceptive fundraising. Good for him for this. Republican politicians are blasting out emails, including Donald Trump's super PAC. They're sending out emails saying contribute any amount immediately to the official Georgia runoff fundraising goal except they're only giving 10% of the money to Herschel Walker's campaign. The rest stays with them. They're not actually spending the money on Herschel Walker. They're taking advantage of Herschel Walker, saying that they want to give the money to Herschel Walker, but they're not actually giving the money to Herschel Walker. It's a scam, and Herschel Walker is calling them out. Good for him, good for his campaign, taking it to other Republicans, including Donald Trump. Speaking of which, when we come back, Donald Trump, he's going to make an announcement at Mar-a-Lago today. What is it? His campaign team has gone wobbly on what he'll actually announce, 
but we'll talk about it. Take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Mike Pence is going to join me by phone the third hour. You'll want to be here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I want to go to Mark, waiting patiently. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric, how are you doing today? Thanks Good. for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, I had a question that I probably should know the answer for, but uh, I, I haven't taken the time to look it up. During this uh, election cycle, we've heard about the droves and the exodus of conservative voters out of states like New Jersey, New York, and depending on Pennsylvania, how the economy is going there, and people moving further south into the Carolinas and into Florida. So my question is this. There's a, an amount of electoral votes that are assigned to each state that we see every year when we go into the countdown. Is there a process in place or uh, is there a system that as population leaves, and in the case of Pennsylvania, turning a purple state blue or a state like New York even bluer, but the population decreases, that conservative population moves to another state is there a way that there is a reallocation of the electoral votes for every state? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so, yes, there is, but only every 10 years. So okay. every 10 years, you do the census. And uh, the census uh, takes into account uh, the um, takes into account the population shift. So, for example, uh, New York has lost seats in this coming electoral college. Uh, New York will be down uh, to 28 seats. California uh, has not gained any. It stayed at 54. Texas has picked up uh, a couple, so it'll now have 40 electoral college votes. Florida picked up a couple, so it'll have 30 electoral college votes now. Georgia was expected to gain one. It did not. Uh, it stayed at 16. Now, how the electoral college works is kind of interesting. So the way the way it works is you take the total number of members of the House of Representatives in a state, you add two to equate to the two senators, and that gets you the total number of Electoral College votes. So Texas now has 40 Electoral College votes. That means Texas has 38 congressional districts now, up from 36. It has 38 congressional districts plus two senators, so it has 40 electoral college votes. There are 538 electoral college votes. That is 435 for the House plus 100 for the Senate, and then Washington, D.C. gets three electoral college votes, which is the minimum number any state can get. So Alaska, for example, has just three electoral college votes because it only has one member of the House and two senators. The District of Columbia has three because that's the minimum number of electoral college votes you can get. It does shift every 10 years. The math should be more favorable to the GOP to a degree. So there's a problem. And this gets to Trump's announcement today. You need 270 electoral college votes to win. Why? Because there are 538 electoral college votes. Divided by two is 269 plus one, that's 270. To win, you need a majority. You need 270. 
Florida has 30. Texas has 40. Ohio has 17. But here's a problem. Let's look at let's look at the dynamic here moving forward. This is a problem for people who support Trump and for Trump. His team didn't do well in Arizona. They lost last time. They got blown out this time. Fast forward to two more years, the odds are if it's Trump, it stays Democrat. That's 11 votes to the Democrats. He got blown out of the water in Georgia. All of his candidates lost. He lost it last time, so give it to the Democrats in two years. That's 16 votes. Pennsylvania, same thing. Pennsylvania, uh, the, the Trump ticket got blown out of the water. Trump lost it in 2020. That's 19 Electoral College votes. And then there's Michigan, where every single person who talked about, praised, or was supported by Donald Trump got blown out of the water, handing the Democrats their first hold on the state legislature and governor's mansion for the first time in 40 years. That's 15 Electoral College votes. You take Pennsylvania's 19, Michigan's 15, Georgia's 16, and Arizona's 11. Give them to the states the Democrats always win. That's 270 Electoral College votes. The Democrats are going to win Washington, Oregon, California. They're going to win New Mexico, Colorado. They're going to win Illinois. They're going to win Virginia, Maryland. They're going to win Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Vermont. They just, they're going to win them. Your swing states will be New Hampshire, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Minnesota, maybe, Nevada, maybe, except if it's Trump. If it's not Trump... If it is one of those generic Republicans, Pennsylvania comes back into play. Georgia comes back into play. Arizona comes back into play. Nevada comes into play. You win those, the GOP gets to 270 without even dealing with Wisconsin or North Carolina. If North Carolina goes right, if Wisconsin goes right, the GOP gets 296. That still leaves New Hampshire up for grabs. That leaves Maine up for grabs. That leaves Minnesota up for grabs. The GOP wins. There's a path, but that path precludes Trump unless something changes. Now, this gets to Trump's announcement. He's going to announce something at Mar-a-Lago today. It was originally forecast by his team— that he would be announcing his run for the presidency. As the sun rose today, some of his team were walking that back saying he's probably going to drop hints. It may not be explicit. His campaign is taking shape. Josh Dawsey, Michael Shearer of the Washington Post, a trio of longtime Republican operatives will lead Donald Trump's 2024 campaign, with the former president set to announce Tuesday evening at the ballroom of Mar-a-Lago, according to five people familiar with the decisions. There are expected to be notable differences from his 2020 campaign. His nascent presidential bid is not currently expected to have a traditional campaign manager with multiple advisors in top roles, according to some of the people familiar with the situation. Compared with 2020, the 2024 bid is expected to have a smaller staff and budget. As Trump has complained that his failed 2020 campaign had too many people and spent too much money. The new campaign will be based in South Florida. 
Trump has told others he wants to recreate the underdog vibe of the 2016 campaign. He faces a range of challenges, including multiple federal and state investigations, growing criticism from Republicans, and unpopularity in many of the 2024 states. The top advisors will include Chris Lasivita and Susie Wiles, a Florida-based political consultant. Lasivita was expected to take the leading role, but practically speaking, duties will be split between him and Wiles. Brian Jack will also be there, who served as a senior political aide in the White House and advised Trump and Kevin McCarthy. This comes as the Club for Growth, which has been pretty loyal to Trump until recently, issued a series of polls in primary states. The polling is rather brutal. DeSantis would beat Trump by 11 percentage points in Iowa and 15 points in New Hampshire. Those are the first two races out of the gate. DeSantis would beat Trump in Ohio and South Carolina, in Georgia, in Texas, and in Florida. Those are some of the next states to come into play. Trump would also be beaten by DeSantis in Pennsylvania. This is what he heads into if he decides to run again. And then there is the Arizona problem. Republicans had a very good night in Arizona. I'm going to spend some time on this when we come back. Some of the Republicans are already screaming, it was stolen, it was stolen, it was stolen, except the Republicans won statewide the treasurer's race. The AG's race is still undecided. They got a majority of the congressional delegation, including the seats that were not drawn for the GOP. The GOP won. They maintained the majority in the state house. They maintained the majority of the state senate. The only Republicans who lost were the ones who wrapped themselves in Donald Trump. In Michigan, John James won his race. God bless him. He's a good dude. Donald Trump never came out of the lips of John James. He never mentioned Trump. Tudor Dixon, who lost the Michigan gubernatorial race, wrapped herself in Donald Trump. In fact, Tudor Dixon didn't even run on the economy and crime. She ran on critical race theory and transgenderism. If the Republicans are willing to look at what happened, I have gone through the exit polling. I have gone through the data. I have re-looked at the data and looked at the data again. And the data shows that independent voters would love to have a Republican that they feel like they can vote for. And Trump and his acolytes are not it. All they have to do is don't be Trump, don't be crazy. You can run and offer up all of the platform that Donald Trump offered, that you will smash the machine. You will be a wrecking ball in Washington. You will push an America first policy. Offer all of that up, and you can win. Just don't be named Trump. Don't deny the election. Don't make your case about the election being stolen. You'll win. Independent voters don't like the Democrats, but they really don't like the Trump strain of the GOP. And so they rejected the GOP's candidates on election night, which cost the GOP gaining the Senate and nearly cost them the House of Representatives. Again, this is really, really important for you to understand that the Republicans actually did not have a bad night last Tuesday if they weren't Trump Republicans. Lee Zeldin was a Trump Republican who, the moment he got into the governor's race, distanced himself from Donald Trump. 
walked back his statements on the stolen election and promised to be a regular mainstream Republican. He came within five points of beating Kathy Huchel. And because of Lee Zeldin, Republicans won the congressional delegations in New York. They purged the Democrats from Long Island. They beat Sean Patrick Maloney in his own district. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee chairman lost to a Republican. That rarely happens. In North Carolina, the Republicans got a supermajority of the state Senate or one vote shy of a supermajority of the state House. They picked up the Supreme Court. They ran through the congressional delegation, but Bo Hines, who was tied to Donald Trump, lost to a Democrat in an R plus 12 seat. In Arizona, Dave Schweikert's going to run again and win again, barely, but he's going to win. He's a strident conservative, but he distanced himself from Trump. In Iowa, the GOP picked up the attorney general seat for the first time in 40 years. In Wisconsin, they held the state legislature even as they lost the governor's mansion. The GOP did not have a bad night, but Trump Republicans did, and they tended to be the majority, which is why it looks like the GOP had a bad night. The warning signs are there. You may not be ready to leave him behind, but the voting public overall is. And onto a stage at Mar-a-Lago, he comes tonight to suggest he's going to run again in four years or two years from what we know. He wants to get ahead of DeSantis. The Republican Party is going to have to decide, do they want to win or do they want Trump? The 2022 election should make very clear which path the GOP should take. I don't know that the GOP will take it, though. I don't know that they will. But they're going to have to if they want to move forward. The data is unmistakable. When we come back, I, I want to talk to you in the, in the top of the next hour about what happened in Arizona. The data there wasn't stolen. Republicans did very well in Arizona. They were expected to lose the state legislature, and they won. The data is there if you want to pay attention to it. Right now, you need to pay attention to me. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm as a three-pack that you can get for less than $200. You can get three of them, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your car, your RV, or your suitcase, wherever you need it. It is an odor eliminator. It wipes out odors. Litter box odors, gone. Smoke odors, gone. Cooking odors, gone. Musty odors, gone. Put it in your hotel room. If it stinks, it cleans up the air, and you get three of them by going to EdenPureDeals.com and put it in my discount code, Eric3, E-R-I-C-K-3, Eric3, at EdenPureDeals.com. It does capture the pollen and the dust. It does clean the air, and it's filterless. You just wipe it out on occasion. I don't actually use it as an air purifier, but I use it when there's a bad smell because it wipes out those odors, and it does very well. I've used it in rental cars when someone had been smoking in the rental car before I got it. Plug it in with a USB cord to a USB outlet of the car. It works. In a hotel room, you can plug it directly into the wall. It works. In your house, I've got a friend who uses it for his litter box. In, in his laundry room, where he's got the litter box, he'll fire up the Eden Pure if the, if the litter box starts smelling, and it wipes out that odor. It wipes out odors. It can for you. You get three of them for less than $200. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric. Three. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Well, DeSantis has finally spoken up about the Trump criticisms. Here we go. Well, let's see. 
can I play the file here? It's coming across the series of tubes known as the internet, and it's moving a little slow. So let's see. Up is um, uh, when you're do when you're leading, when you're getting getting things done. Yeah, you take incoming fire. That's just the nature of it. Uh, I roll out of bed in the morning. I've got corporate media outlets that have a spasm just the fact that I'm getting up in the morning, and it's constantly attacking. And this is just what's happened. I don't think any governor got attacked more, particularly by corporate media. That was DeSantis. I don't know if everybody got that last part there. It, it rolled out of the, the left channel. But he said, one of the things I've learned in this job is when you're leading, when you're getting things done, you take incoming fire. That's just the nature of it. Uh, he didn't actually address the threat. That's kind of the way you need to handle it. Let your record speak for yourself. You know, everyone who, if you recall 2016, everyone who got in the mud with Donald Trump lost to Donald Trump. Uh, you're not going to get muddier than Donald Trump. It's going to be interesting to see this play out. What about the other other people? You notice there are others sitting on the sidelines who want to get in. Nikki Haley, I think, would like to run for president. Mike Pence would like to run for president. Uh, Josh Hawley says he's out. Tom Cotton says he's out. I'm not sure Hawley actually is out. We'll see. Then you have some of the 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 the, the has-beens who are not going to run. Uh, Larry Hogan, for example. Uh, what's his name from up in Massachusetts? The Republican up there. Uh, in fact, you know, let me see if I can find this. Uh, I asked Charlie to record it for me, and then forgot to put all the the audio in the file. Uh, the the um, Charlie Baker, probably the most popular governor in the country, is the gov outgoing governor of. Massachusetts, he's a Republican, he was with Jake Tapper, and essentially said, we need to find some Republican who can build bridges and whatnot. The problem here is that whenever Republicans lose, they the media puts on the liberal Republicans that they love, and, and the liberal Republicans, oh, we've got to stop being conservative. No, no, conservatism works. Conservatism actually works still. You don't have to abandon your principles. The public just doesn't want crazy town. Conservatism isn't crazy. It's pretty mainstream. Coalition politics is something, though, that Republicans have to engage with. More on that when we come back. Don't forget, text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Click that top link and sign up for my email as I continue to do all the data analysis into what actually happened on Election Day. Um, and you need to sign up for the recipes, too, so you can get all the Thanksgiving recipes this week. When we come back, I actually want to spend some time with what happened in Arizona. The grifters are already out grifting, claiming it was stolen. There is ample data to show it was not stolen. But what happened actually is very interesting. Believe it or not, though Carrie Lake and Blake Masters lost, it was a very good night for Republicans in Arizona.